We have a cat that's uh, 17 years old. And that cat doesn't like anybody but my wife and I. And that's, and it's not that she doesn't like anybody. She just doesn't put up with anybody. And we had one particular friend that when they would come over, they didn't know when the evening ended. Uh, it, have, you, have you got that friend? It's like, oh, and you're looking at your watch. This cat would come out of the bedroom, and he, she never does that until this time. And we have a round coffee table, and she'd get on that coffee table and stare at it. <laughs> and stare. And st- I mean, would not move her gaze, just stare and stare. <laughs> Finally, they'd get up and go. So if you have those guests that stay too long, get you a cat. Okay? They, cats don't really care, right? Hey, online, you watching this this morning, streaming, thank you. We're glad you're here. And go ahead and get a notebook and pencil and open your Bible, second chapter of uh, the book of Mark. And while you're munching on your morning donut, we're going to talk about fasting. Okay? Maybe that doesn't go with it. I started to come out and tell you. That because the message is on fasting, there won't be any food today. <laughs> but Galen's already eat three or four desserts, so he knows that there are, there is food. So, uh, I, I, I'm laughing and joking about fasting because several weeks ago, or I guess longer, I was, uh, became a part of a conversation. And the conversation, was about fasting and the pros, the cons. Uh, some made the assumption that fasting was a requirement uh, of Christianity because Buddhists, Muslims, other religions demand fasts. And this was a particular, these ladies I think were Christians because they said, we can come together and fast and encourage each other and pray and lose weight. Sound like a good idea. You see, the problem is this. Fasting is not how to lose weight. Now, I, I think there's a diet that has intermittent fasting. I think we all fast intermittently. We fast between breakfast and lunch and lunch and dinner, right? <laughs> That's the wrong concept. We're, we're just going to, in fact, I wasn't even going to preach this passage until I got to looking at what Jesus was saying in here. And I think it, it will do us good. Now, I'm not saying fasting is bad or fasting is good. I have fasted. But we're going to see what it's all about. And uh, so as we look at the second chapter, uh, beginning in verse 18, here is the scenario. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Uh, I don't know if they were fasting together. Probably not. Because John and the Pharisees 
didn't get along with each other. So I doubt that John's disciples, I think what's happening is someone is observing. Jesus, if you remember, has called followers, disciples, and they're following him everywhere he goes. And it's early in his ministry. And we're going to begin to see how different groups, even though they don't uh, agree with each other, they don't even like each other. There's one common element that they don't like, and that is Jesus. And we're going to see that in the third chapter. You're going to see the, the Pharisees reaching out to the Herodians, which was another, quote, party of Jewish people. But somebody observed John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, so they came and asked Jesus. Here's what they said. Why? How is it John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting and yours are not? The accusation is that this simply proves you're not as religious, you're not as spiritual as John's disciples and the Pharisees because you guys are not fasting. Jesus answered them. How can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? Now, let me go and explain that. A wedding was not like we have them today. You know, there's one day that it's built up to. The night before it's practice. That day is just filled. I've often said to, to young people, find out how much your wedding's going to cost. I'll meet you at the beach. You can pocket that money. We'll have a ceremony. The bride will not be so nervous. The husband will not be so fearful. And you can go on your honeymoon and really enjoy yourself. Because we build a lot of tension into that day. It was not the way it was in this time. A bride wedding was about a week long. And they would invite all of their friends. And the bridegroom would not make an appearance until the day of the wedding. And he would come out of a tent and, and he would just be resplendent as in dress and everyone would applaud and it was, they were happy because the bridegroom was there. Now in this passage, Jesus is identifying as the bridegroom. John the Baptist in the, in the book of John actually referred to Jesus as the bridegroom. It was a time of festivities. It was a time of joy, a time of happiness. And fasting is not a time of joy. Okay? So Jesus is saying to him, hey, the bridegroom is here. And you don't fast. You don't go to a wedding feast and a party with a a, a frowny face. I mean, you'll pour well, water over all of the festivities. All right? They cannot so long as they have him with him. He's amplifying, beginning to, to impress on them, there's going to be a day I'm not here, and when that happens, they'll fast for me. That time when they come to bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. Now, have you ever wondered when you read this what patching 
and wineskin have to do with what Jesus was just talking about? I mean, come on, be honest. Anybody ever thought about that? I I did. I looked at that because I remember as a kid wearing patch jeans. And when you put a new patch on old jeans, you got a bigger hole. Now, y'all don't understand that nowadays because people will pay $100 for a pair of jeans that's got holes in them. And it seems like the more holes, the more it costs. And I've never figured that out. You got less material, but it costs you more. So we don't even patch anything anymore. But he's talking about an unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Nobody sews a patch on those, okay? If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into the wineskin, old wineskin. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. And both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, no, he pours new wine into new wineskins. Here's the deal. Fasting was taught in the Old Testament. However, as we're going to see, we're going to read some scriptures. Fasting was for only one day. And that day was the day of atonement. In Leviticus 16, we find these words. And this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and do not do any work. Now, that day that they're referring to is the day of atonement. The denying themselves, they're talking about denying food, denying refreshment, and not to do any work, whether native-born or an alien living among you. Because on this day... Atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. That's the only Old Testament teaching about fasting. However, as usual, the Pharisees always carried it a step further. The Pharisees would fast every uh, Tuesday and or excuse me, every Monday and every Thursday. They did that, and they put that in their laws, and they, they basically tried to make people. They weren't very successful, and it wound up about the only people that fasted were the Pharisees. Isaiah chapter 58, Isaiah had some things to say uh, about this fasting, okay? Shout it aloud and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. All right, you see, this is a message of condemnation from God through Isaiah. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. I want you to get this picture. God is saying, if I looked at you and saw the things that you did, 
you would look like a nation that loves the Lord. You would look like a nation that seeks me, a nation that wants me. If you look, if I, if you just looked at you, okay, go ahead. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. Here's what he's saying, basically. It's pretty plain. Jesus is looking down, and he would have to be looking at the Day of Atonement, a set of time set aside for cleansing. And he's looking at a people who are observing all of the ordinances. They're not eating. Uh, they're not working. But there's a problem. A fast, as we're going to see, is when you decide you're going to move every distraction from you and seek God for a specific reason. God has said, I've looked down and I see you're fasting. You're quarreling, you're fussing, you're fighting, and you're abusing people. Here's what Jesus said his fast is. Back into that Isaiah passage. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Jesus is, is inquiring. In other words, for 364 days, you can act like you want to. You can be proud. You can be arrogant. But on one day, you're supposed to be humble. God is teaching Israel they are to walk in humility. God reminded them all the time, you were once not a nation. What he meant by that, they weren't a people. They were just a family of one man who moved into Egypt. And from there, God in the hot house of Egypt raised up a nation. But yet the Jews walked Proudly, And they, they actually, in their religious observance, worshiping God, were arrogant and proud. Do I only want a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a feast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Can you see this picture that he's building? You can bring this into 21st century. We may not practice fasting. We may not practice some of the laws. But I think we have to check ourselves and find out, do we walk in humility before God? Do we realize that it is but for the grace of God that we live in a country where the gospel was openly preached so that you heard the gospel. You were convicted of your sins. You came to Christ with a promise of an abundant life now and an eternal life later. 
I'm afraid that one, some of the most arrogant, unhumble people is a religious or church community. Because somehow we've come to believe we deserve this because we're good. And you know, I, I really figure this is the reason why evangelism is waning uh, overall in the church. When you read statistically, baptisms are across the board, down and just about everywhere. It's because when we get pumped up and we think we deserve what God has given us, the problem happens is we don't think anybody else deserves it. But when we walk humbly before our God, when we realize who he is and who we are, and we realize who he is and who we're not, that is a humility before God, and God draws near the humble. Luke 18, 9 through 14 has some thoughts on this also, fasting. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, That's setting the stage for what we're going to read. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Understand, hold it right there. If you look just up a little bit, you'll find that we read that Jesus called Matthew a tax collector to follow him and then immediately went to a party at Matthew's house with other tax collectors. Now he is answering their question about why aren't your disciples being religious like John's and the Pharisees? And he gives this. A Pharisee stood up, prayed about himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Isn't that nice? I mean, that just makes you want to go to that church every week, don't it? Yeah. I fast twice a week, Monday and Thursday, and I give a tenth of all I get. These Pharisees would take a little bit of mint, uh, that little leaf, and they'd get a razor blade, and they would measure and measure and measure, and they'd cut exactly a tenth of that off and give it. And you see, the whole teaching of what we're looking at this, God doesn't see our tear, our tears. He doesn't see all of the religious activities that we do when we're trying to impress him. God sees straight through to the heart, the very motive behind what we do and why we do it. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look into heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the humility in which we seek God. And in a fast, when you begin to remove certain things, begin to really remove things that are important. And the one end goal is to draw near to God. That's what God sees. A humble spirit saying, I want to know you. Now, I'm not saying that God is against uh, fasting. And I'm not saying Jesus taught against it. 
In fact, Jesus gave some parameters. In in Matthew chapter 6, here's the parameters that he gave. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces and show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head. Now, that's the grooming, okay? That's, I I don't need real cream and oil on my head. Some of you... What Jesus is saying is put on some makeup, guys. Wash yourself. Put all on you. Wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been around somebody that found fasting for the first time? I remember years ago in a church, we had a revival. Do y'all remember what a revival is? The fallacy of a revival. This is the way I think. They would put a big sign in front of the church. Revival meeting starts and ends. Isn't that great? You're going to crank a revival on a certain day, and it doesn't matter how good it's going. you got to stop it. I mean, to me, that's just a fallacy in the junk that we do in the way that we think. But anyway, that's free. This guy came in, and he talked about fasting. And all of a sudden, everybody was fasting. One guy was trying to go for 40 days, and he wound up in a hospital. But you would, you would come to church and these people were just so drawn out. You know, in every, in every church, you got coffee and donuts on Sunday. I mean, we're blessed. We have bacon. I mean, God's blessed us. We, we way past the donuts. But they would come and look at that and say, Oh, I wish I could eat, but I'm fasting before the Lord. That was what Jesus is talking about. We don't walk around advertising a supposed righteousness that we do not have. Because that doesn't impress people and it doesn't impress God. Now, fasting is taught in a lot of scriptures. Jesus, before he began his earthly ministry, fasted. He went into the desert 40 days. Not only that, Nehemiah, when he was going before the king to ask permission to go back and to do the work and build the temple, he fasted before he ever went before the king. He fasted and he prayed. David asked God to correct some terrible misjustice in Psalms 35. And if you also read about when the child that he and Bathsheba had was sick and dying, David fasted before God to to ask God to heal. And God didn't answer him. How about Mordecai and the Jews? Hateful Haman put out uh, the news that he was going to wipe out the Jewish people. And Mordecai and Esther called the uh, uh, the Jewish nation to fast and go before God and put petitions before God. 
Why did they do that? Why? Well, it's very simple. Here's some things about fasting. It puts away distractions. Now, that can be food. I mean, some of you are distracted about food right now. You can't wait till the invitation starts so you can sneak out. That's why we don't serve nobody to everybody gets out there. I'm giving you a secret, okay? Work can be a distraction. Cell phones can be a distraction. You know, I, when I fast, I'm a diabetic, so I really can't go without food. I just lay my, my phone down. I, I don't look at anything on social media. I just put distractions out. And when you've got a decision that you need to make, when something is bothering you, you, you have searched yourself and you've, you don't understand why you're going through what you're going through. You don't understand why you're thinking the way you're thinking and you, you've prayed and you've sought God. If you begin to fast and put everything out of the picture and train the mind so that the only thing you're going to hear is the voice of God. That's how you humble yourself before God. God, I'm putting these distractions away. And you know, it's not bad stuff that's a distraction. You know, for a long time, uh, you remember when TV came out? I do. Y'all do too, so don't look so smug. All right? I had an uncle, Uncle Walter. He was a citrus man and a cattleman. Uncle Walter had plenty of money. And Uncle Walter had a wonderful color television. And I always would go work a month down on his farm down in Arcadia. But Uncle Walter never watched TV. Uncle Walter was against TV. Now, my Aunt Dora bought the TV, so Uncle Walter had a chair. And he put that chair right by the TV. And at night, after supper, when we went to watch TV, Uncle Walter sat in the chair. Staring straight ahead. He wanted everybody that knew he was against it. But he didn't fool me. Uncle Walter came out of the radio era. And he could hear everything that was going on that TV. He didn't miss anything. But you know, sometimes we get that way. Sometimes we, we put on this distraction and we, we say this is bad and that's bad. Listen, Jesus taught a lesson when Peter said, I'm not going to eat anything that's unclean. And Jesus challenged him and said, don't you call anything I've made unclean. It's mankind that makes good stuff evil. But when we put it away, bad distractions and good God is the focus. And you see, the focus becomes not on the food, not on the, the work, not on your cell phone. The focus becomes God, your heart. What is God doing to, in your heart? He's opening that heart to receive Him. You're, you're showing God that the only thing I want is you. And I want to tell you, sometimes, folks, I have a little problem with that. Things get in the way. Sometimes my job gets in the way. 
Sometimes circumstances get in the way. And I forget that the only thing I really need is Jesus Christ walking with me. And the only thing that I really want in life is the presence of Christ in my life. And we forget that being religious and doing religious stuff and trying to show people that we're righteous and we're good and we're holy. Let me tell you, when you begin to put away distractions, the focus, one of the focus is on your heart. And in this fasting, something else wonderful happens. The Holy Spirit will reveal your spiritual condition. The Spirit of God begins to speak to you, begins to show you what you're missing. Now, he doesn't just convict you of sin, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit will do that. But the Holy Spirit reveals in that time when you're putting everything away, he will reveal your condition. And when that happens, brokenness and repentance and a transformed life comes. We're in an era that the church overall is preaching easy believism in all you have to do. But I want to tell you something according to the Word of God. When Christ comes into your life, change happens. Radical change in your life. And that radical change will be the difference in your life. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. If you're not constantly going before God, opening yourself up to His search, saying, Lord, search me, know me, tell me, and being broken. You see, you can never be whole until you've been broken before Almighty God. But the focus on your fast is not maybe the job. I know people that have fasted before job, fasted before asking someone to marry. There's a lot of good reasons to fast. But the focus of the fast is God. God. Things become clear in your life when the light of his glory shines in that. The Apostle Paul prayed a prayer. The book of Ephesians, here's what he told people. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom. In the book of James said, if anybody lacks wisdom, let them ask. Ask, not wavering, but ask, and God will give you his wisdom. Paul's praying that they may receive a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe according to the working of his great work in which he raised Christ from the dead? Living in a time when the one thing that's said so often is, I don't really know who I am. Have you ever got to that point? You've lived your life you're in your 60s, you're in your 70s, and all of a sudden, you wonder, who am I? 
What kind of person am I? Because you're so involved in living life and doing what you've always done. Because it's comfortable and it's safe not to veer out of that set pattern. And when you walk the same path continually, it goes from a path to a rut. And you can't get out of it. Fasting before God with Him as your focus will reveal who you are. It'll be an encouragement to you. Not only will it break you of your, your pride and arrogance, but it'll encourage you. It'll show you that this is the power. You're not lacking anything in life. God has empowered you. And what is the evidence of that power? He raised Christ from the dead. That's my prayer for you this morning. My prayer for you, my prayer for you online is to know Christ. Don't, do not turn your ears away from the voice of God. He has something to say to you. For some it might mean you need, to, you need him as a savior. You need to come to him. You need to be baptized. You need to learn to seek him and depend on him. If you're listening online and God is speaking to you today, there's a button that says, I have decided. If you'll hit that and get the information, our staff will contact you and and help you with any question you have. If you're here today and this is the day God is saying, I need to have your attention. I need to be first in your life. You can come and you can pray here. I'll be here. I'll be outside our staff office. You know where it's at. Don't ignore it. Today is a day of salvation. Father, we come to you today. We ask you that you would take your word, that you would magnify it in our hearts, that we may truly know you. In Jesus' name, amen.